0: We are continuing our series, Don't Be a Pharisee. And to kick things off this morning, I want to ask a question for all of our parents. Well, I guess it's not just the parents. If you had siblings growing up, um, just a question. Uh, parents, have your, do your kids ever fight? No, never. I know. You guys all raise perfect children who never fight, they always got along. And when you were kids, you always got along perfectly with your siblings. there's never any fighting, never any talking back, like all was just harmonious all the time it 's everyone else 's kids that are the problem. Your kids were perfect. I know I, I apologize for insulting you for which is such a silly question. but on the rare occasion that your kids did fight, rare, I know, rare occasion. I'm sure they only ever fought about important things, right? Political differences, global warming, like really big universal things that everyone always fights about, right? You never heard that old fight, he's touching me, I'm not touching you, he's touching me, I'm going to touch you. Like you never heard that fight ever, especially on car trips, right? Like the... Never, never heard any of that, never had any scenario where child A is playing with a toy that child B hasn't even looked at in over a month, but because child A has it, now child B wants it, and now there's a fight, I don't know why parents ever get UFC. You have UFC all the time at home. Just throw a toy in the middle of the kids and just watch what happens. Every morning, I've just started like just turning on a movie because it's easier than listening to the screaming. And uh, it's amazing how quickly babies figure this out. I don't think Levi's even mad. He just sees his sisters fighting and just wants to be a part of it. Like this is just normal life. I just got to get in on this. And he is rough. Anyways, (sighs) it's just like Kids fight, right? Like, that, that is just a part of what is going on. They just, they just develop, and the problem is, and it's not our kids, right? It's just it's everyone else's kids that always fight. And so, and the worst time, ever notice that not only do kids like to fight when they're siblings and with each other, but they always pick the worst time to fight, like in a supermarket, Everything's been going peachy, everyone's been getting along, we're happy, we're laughing, all is good. And for some reason on aisle six, World War Three breaks out, right? Like, it's just like, it's now is the time. Or, or it's not, but of course, it's not our kids, it's someone else's kids that are doing this. We're, you know, dad didn't grab the Oreos and now it's now it's on. And when we are walking through the supermarket, we're walking through the stores, we're walking downtown, and we hear the explosion of a child of being mad over something, what is the first thought that pops into our head when someone else's kid blows up in the middle of the store in a public place? It's glad it's not my kid. Thank goodness I'm not that kid's parent, right? Thank goodness my little angels are behaving and... And it's interesting because what happens is we have this tendency to give kids the benefit of the doubt, right? Little Johnny is having a conniption over the Oreos, but it's not little Johnny's fault. Kids are going to be kids. What do we say? Whoa, there's something wrong with the parenting, what did the parents do to get, and, and the funny thing is when we start making these assumptions, we start coming to these conclusions, we, we actually don't have all the details, right? We, we only have this scenario, and immediately the kid's a little pain in the butt, and mom and dad have done something wrong, right? Like mom and dad have done something to get Junior to this point, and that whole, I'm glad I'm not his parent, I'm not I'm glad I'm not her parent, isn't a remark about the kid anymore. It's actually a remark about the parent and how the parent has got the kid to this point. And I know I'm probably alone in this, but you're just going to throw myself under the bus because it's just easier that way. Um, There's been a few times as my child has been at school hanging out with their friends and picking up bad habits, and saying things we'd rather they didn't say, and, you know, the whole, and, like, where did you get that from? Where'd you, oh, so-and-so says it all the time, so-and-so, and what's the first thought that runs through our brain? Well, you're not hanging out at their house. You're not going over there. If, if, if they're like that, what's mom and dad like, like, Right, we jump to that conclusion. If they're like this, mom and dad have clearly done something wrong, and you're not having anything to do with that house. You you can hang out with them at school. You know, we start contemplating homeschooling just to separate them from the. The interesting thing is, is that we laugh, and but we, you know we laugh uncomfortably because we all have been there. We've all had these thoughts. And we all have this in common. But we often forget that we are the family of God. And all too often in church, we tend to fight with each other, like little kids. And we don't fight about important things, we fight about silly things we hold on to grudges we get into bitterness we have divisions in the church we have and not but not one church right it's it's the it's all the other churches right we've talked about this we're all perfect here it's the other churches that are the problem but in other churches this hypothetical church where everything always goes wrong okay that's what i'm talking about there's these divisions and people don't get along with each other i've often told you i was at a church once um I worked at this church, and there are people who have been attending the church for 50 years, different families, and they had never crossed paths. They had never talked to each other. The church wasn't that big. There wasn't that many people, but they have been at the church for 50 years, never learned each other's name. Wow. Okay. That's almost a skill. You have to, like, try to do that at that point. But the, kid, the family of God starts to fight with each other. We start to hold on to things we shouldn't be holding on to. We start to argue over silly little things. And then we wonder why nobody wants to be a part of the church. Because if we do it to kids and we say, what is wrong with the parent that got the kid to this point? Guess what? If the church is fighting, the church is get, isn't getting along when there's a problem, people are looking at the church and not saying, what's wrong with the church? They're like, what's wrong with their God? What is wrong with their God? What has their God done that has got them to this point where they are fighting and misbehaving and just... Who wants to be a part of that? Who, th- guess what? People have got enough of that in the world. Uh, this is getting in my way. I'm going to move it. Uh, for those of you that missed last week, I didn't have my notes. They're back. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, so I was having them nearby just in case. My security blankie. Um, Why would anybody ever want to be a part of a church where the God apparently encourages and endorses infighting and arguing and division over silly little things? Nobody ever wants nobody wants to be part of that. Everyone can find fighting and infighting and bitterness and unforgiveness everywhere else. They don't need to come to the church to find it. But don't worry. So what's the solution to all the division? What's the, what's the solution? Don't worry, Pharisees have a great one. You're going to love this. Pharisees endorse this thing called uniformity. Here's how uniformity works. Uh, We're going to make a cookie cutter. And everyone's got to fit in the cookie cutter, right? Do you know one person that you hopefully would never ever fight with? Your clone. Do you know why you would never be bitter or unforgiving or, or intolerant of your clone? Because if you had a clone, everything that made you mad would make them mad. Everything that offended you would offend them. They would always wear the same clothes as you. They'd always talk about the same things as you. They would be, you could not get mad at them. Because if your clone was mad, you'd be like, oh, I get it. I totally understand why they're mad because just hearing what they're mad about, I'm already mad. If the world was all full of a bunch of clones, we would be fine. Right? If we were just carbon copy, cookie cutter copies of each other. There would never be any fighting, there would never be and that is right? Who wants this? Who wants cookie cutter Christianity? Who wants cookie cutter world? See the problem with cookie cutter Christianity, the problem with uniformity where we talk the same, we dress the same, and we think the same, and we never fight, and we always we get mad about the same things, we get mad. It's impossible. But when the cookie cutter and the clone start to become the standard of what is acceptable, if you don't fit in the cookie cutter, not only do you not fit in the group, we start a Pharisee will start to question whether or not you're even saved. You start to question your salvation and your following of Christ because you don't fit you don't read the Bible the same way as me. You don't talk the same way as me. You don't like the same coffee as I like. You don't, you don't like the same things I like. There's something wrong with you. Obviously, you've never met Jesus. <laughs> I'm really glad you're all laughing because that <laughs> could have gone another way. Pharisees just want everyone to just fit in this nice, perfect mold. They want everyone to look exactly the same and talk exactly the same. And the problem is that Jesus didn't come to save us from our differences. He saved us in our differences. And he doesn't, w- Jesus didn't ever teach uniformity. Paul didn't teach uniformity. What did Paul and Jesus teach? They taught unity. Unity. And the, the idea is, is that if unif- unity comes with uniformity. Right? If we all look the same, dress the same, we would all be unified in purpose. Yeah, I look at myself in the mirror, I know my tendencies, I would not be unified with myself. Uniformity does not mean unity, but unity is the one thing the Holy Spirit came to the And we're going to go back to the kid example. Johnny and Jilly and whoever's in the back and they're fighting and they're arguing and they're, they're on the road trip and they've got nowhere to go. Are they still unified in the midst of the fighting? Yes, they are unified in the midst of the fighting. Why? Because unity is not something they chose, it was something they were born into. Doesn't matter how much they fight, doesn't matter how much they say, how much they hate each other. Doesn't it, they are still family at the end of the day. They are still Blood And the same thing happens in the church. We do not all have to look the same, think the same, talk the same to be unified because you are not. Unity is not something that you do. Unity is something that you are as long as you have a relationship with Jesus. You are unified by Christ. But just because you have this implied unity based on your faith, it doesn't mean that unity is not something that we need to fight for does not mean that unity is not something that we need to strive for because, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's really hard to stay unified with everyone all the time. Jesus gave us this command in John when it comes to this idea of unity. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove... To the world that you are my disciples your unity your common love your common ability to put up with your differences your common ability to be able to unify in the midst of arguments in the midst of discussion in the midst of differences in the midst of different theology you are still unified you can still love each other because your love is bigger than the ability to look and sound and think exactly alike Paul says this in Ephesians 4, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of what? Because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Make every effort. Paul tells the Ephesians, and he tells us today, that unity is worth fighting for. Because at the end of the day, the one thing that every single person in the world longs for most of all is to to belong. They want a place, they want a group that they can be, but they don't want to belong at the cost of change. They don't want to change to belong. They don't want to have the standard that if you don't, you know, the whole Ferris wheel ride, if you're this tall, you don't get in, right? This is what uniformity is. If you don't meet this standard, you don't get in. And what Jesus often says and what Paul often talks about is the fact that everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter if you've got different ideas. It doesn't matter if you don't agree theologically. It doesn't matter if you don't live the same lifestyle. If you don't look the same, sound the same. It doesn't matter because everybody is welcome. Everybody gets to come. Everybody has a place at the seat. Everybody has a place at the table. Unity, love, peace, mercy, grace above all. John goes on to say this in 1 John. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Note, didn't say hate somebody outside the church. Didn't say hate somebody who is their enemy. Hates another believer. Hates a brother in the faith. Hates a sister in the faith. They're still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, how many times have we gotten to that verse, read through it, and like, I'm good. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody in the church. I tolerate most of them, but I don't hate anybody. Actually, the word hate used there in 1 John is not an accurate translation. The actual better word would be to to detest. To look down on somebody. To disagree and hold on to bitterness towards somebody. Well, that's different. That's different because hate, hate's such a strong, I would never use hate. But I have a really tough time with some people. I hold on to things because some people just rub me the wrong way. And John says that if you detest, if you hold anything against somebody, if you look down on anybody who is a fellow believer, you're not even walking in the light, you're walking in darkness. Okay, let's let that one sink in a little bit. Because what have we talked about all um For a Pharisee, it's... It's not the people who are far from Jesus that they have trouble showing mercy to. It's not the people who are overseas that we have trouble showing mercy to. It's not the people who don't know better. It's the people who should know better that we have trouble showing love to. It's people we ha- who should know better we have problems forgiving. It's people who should know better that we have all these issues forgiving and loving. And, and Jesus said that there's no room for that. Do you know what Jesus and Paul got the most excited about, got the most upset about when it came to the Pharisees? everything they ever fought about. Go back, read it. What's the one thing Jesus fought about? Who salvation was for and what it meant to be saved. That's it. They didn't fight about how often we quote scripture when we're praying. They don't fight about how often we we will fight about anything. They get so upset with the religious leaders because the religious leaders in Matthew 23 are so bad for closing the gates of heaven and not letting one anyone in. And Jesus was trying to throw those puppies open because salvation is for everybody. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited into grace. Everyone is invited into forgiveness. Everyone is invited, everyone, all-inclusive. And we so often, not we, Pharisees, right? The, fair, the group that's not here at One Church, Pharisees have so much trouble with this. It would be so much easier if we all just were like, we're just carbon copies of each other. Then we just get along all the time. But Jesus didn't save us to be carbon copies. He saved us in our uniqueness. We've often quoted First Psalm 139 that says that God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. And we quote it to say that you are unique, you are special, God doesn't make mistakes. You are exactly the way you were supposed to be. We celebrate the uniqueness until there's a problem. Now you being unique is an inconvenience. Stop being unique, start being unique like me. Start talking like me, start thinking, and then we'll get along better and we'll be unified. Do you know who gets tired of getting shoved in a cookie cutter? Everybody. So the trick is, if we don't want to be Pharisees, if we don't want to be this group. If we don't want to entice uniformity, we need to fight for unity. We need to get along so that we do not reflect little Johnny and aisle six of the world and make pe- turn people off from God because of the way that we're behaving. We stop being little Johnny and aisle six fighting with our little sister over silly little things that really don't make any difference. We need to start fighting for the peace. We need to start fighting for the unity. We need to start fighting for love. We need to start fighting so that we can actually start moving in the same direction as one another and start being the influence and the world changes that God has called us to be. And it's only going to come if we get on the same page with one another. And what that means is that some of us have been holding on to things for a little too long and it's time to let go. It's time to stop being bitter. It's time to stop holding on to unforgiveness. It's time to stop holding on to grudges. It's time to stop separating ourselves from people we don't always agree with. We need to stop rubbing people who have a different personality the wrong way. We just need to stop. Kerry Newhoff posted this. He said that nobody ever got changed because of judgment. 99% 99% of people find life change when they're loved. Which brings us to communion. I hope everybody has their little communion cup. If you don't, they're in the back. I don't even have mine. I'm a good pastor. I don't even have my own communion cup. Thanks, Shauna. <laughs> Bail me out. We come to communion, and Paul teaches us that we are going to celebrate communion. We're going to, celib- we're going to take this time to share the bread and share the blood in remembrance of Jesus, and in remembrance of the sacrifice that he's made until he comes. So communion is an act of remembrance saying, we honoring the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us, but it is also done in hope that we are not going to do this forever. There's coming a time when we will stop doing communion because Jesus has returned, we have entered into eternity, and all is good. And communion is a reminder that it is our job, as Jesus taught us to pray, to bring heaven to earth, that God's will would be done as it is on on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be a reflection of what eternity is, we'd be a reflection of heaven in our world. All of this wrapped up in this convenient little cup. And this morning, we remember that Jesus died not to take away our differences. We read all through that Jesus died for the Jew and the Gentile. Guess what? We're Unless, correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, but I think we're all a bunch of Gentiles in here. But we're all on the same team now. We're all unified by the blood. We're unified by the sacrifice of our Savior. We are unified. Slave and free, Jew and Gentile, man and woman. We're all unified as one by no other reason than the sacrifice Jesus made. Paul warned us that when we come to communion, we need to be aware that we do it in a way that is proper and honoring the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so before we do anything, I want you to pause, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about where <laughs> you have allowed unity to go to the wayside. Because unity doesn't just happen. The same way strong relationships don't happen, unity doesn't just happen. As it says in Ephesians, unity is something we need to fight for. So where in your life have you given up the fight and just concluded that it's easier to be divided, it's easier to have this it's just easier to be at odds with this person. It's just easier to be, it's just easier. Because if Jesus died for us to be unified, then unity is something worth fighting for no matter how hard it gets. Just so take a moment, close your eyes, bow your heads, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to impress on you where you've allowed unity to fall to the wayside. And then we're going to dive in. Jesus, we don't want to enter this, this moment in an unworthy manner. We want to honor the sacrifice. We want to honor the price you paid for us to have this moment. And as you taught us, as we come to the altar, as we come to this moment of communion, you taught us, Jesus, that if we have any wrong with a brother or sister, that we're to leave the sacrifice at the altar and go make things right and come back and make the offering. And so, Jesus, I pray, in alignment with your teaching, that you would impress on us a name, a person, a relationship that we have allowed strife. We have allowed anger. We have allowed bitterness. We have allowed division to fester and grow. God, I pray that you would show us how to make it right. For some of us, it is just asking for forgiveness and forgiving ourselves because for whatever reason, that's all that is required. But for some, it's going to require a conversation that we've been putting off for far too long. Father, let us not take this in an unworthy manner. Paul taught us, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it gave it to his disciples and said, take this all of you and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. And take the bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup blessed it gave it to disciples and said take this all of you and drink from it this is my blood the blood of the new and everlasting covenant shed for you and for all that sins may be forgiven do this in remembrance of me let's drink Jesus, I believe that there is healing in this moment. Because you died to take away the sins, not only of our sins towards you, but the sins between each other. You have already forgiven all. So God, help us forgive with the magnitude and the height and the depth that you have forgiven us Father, I pray that you would heal relationships. I pray that you would heal, that you would mend broken bridges, that you would restore the family of God. Because Jesus, you didn't die for multiple brides. You died for one bride, a unified bride. God stir in us, help us be people who fight for unity. Help us to put away, put aside our petty differences. Help us to put aside our silly fights and just fight for the unity, fight for the goal of bringing your kingdom here on earth. There are bigger things at stake. So God help us to keep our eyes on the cross. Jesus, help us to keep our eyes on you, to imitate you in all that we do to forgive me the way that you forgave, to love the way that you loved. God, restore unity in your people. Lead and guide us as we go about this week. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.